Holy Father, we we do love you, and we, we come before you tonight, Father, with hearts and times overflowing with love. But Lord, we know that's because you have first loved us in your great and sovereign mercy. You have seen fit to reach out to even sinners like us. We thank you and praise you for that gospel truth. We pray tonight, Father, that you be pleased to draw near to us. Would you please open our ears and our hearts and give us grace to hear your voice. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're uh, very privileged to have with us tonight a distinguished visitor. This is uh, Reverend Peter Augustus. Would you stand up, Peter? Welcome, brother. So nice to have you and your family with you tonight. We're, we're honored to have you. Why don't you come up for a second, brother? Just briefly. You don't mind my surprising you with a question to me. You're a professional in all this. <laughs> Peter is a minister from the Church of Pakistan, is that right? Yes. yes. And you're working in uh, Sparta, Wisconsin? Yes. Tell us what you do, brother. Okay. As they told me that I'm from Church of Pakistan, I came to uh, the United States in 2004 Christmas. So this business will be three years. So when I came here, I was uh, accepted by the Episcopal Church in the United States, Diocese of Abdel. I'm serving as assisting priest in Christ Episcopal Church La Crosse, and also I'm chaplain for a hospital there, Franciscan Stem, and also I'm chaplain for the Jane and Restorative Justice Ministry in Monroe County, and my office is in Sparta, Wisconsin. So I came one day before here. One of my sister-in-law, Riva, she lived here. <coughs> Yesterday, we attended her daughter's marriage, and, uh, and uh, tomorrow morning. I and my wife and uh, my three kids, we are leaving the, the cross. But uh, really, I'm very happy and feeling joy to be here. And uh, uh, Bill, I never met him, but it seems that we met since many times. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why, because there's a different culture, there's different language, but we have a one, one thing equal. One thing we have that is Jesus, the love of God. We are one. So I'm very happy to be here. And uh, actually, I was planning to come and attend 11 o'clock service, but it was a little bit misunderstanding that I was not able to come because I don't know how to go because the traffic is. <laughs> so difficult for me. Tell us about it. <laughs> I'm from the countryside, <laughs> and this is a big city. So I request my sister-in-law's son to drive my car, and just he drive the car, and we came here. So I think this is your sermon time. <laughs> I won't ask you to preach on the spot. Let's pray for Peter. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the chance to be together. Thank you that we are indeed one in your Son. And Father, we thank you for our brother Peter, for bringing him here. We uh, thank you for safe travel, and we pray you go before him as he goes home with his family tomorrow. 
thank you, Prim. Lord, please bless the Monroe County Restorative Justice Ministry. Please bless the church that Peter serves back in Wisconsin. Uh, please pour out the abundance of your mercy upon him and grant him grace for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you for being here tonight, guys. Let me give a brief explanation why we're in here. Uh, you may have noticed uh, there's a big group over in the uh, parish hall. Uh, there's a singer from uh, Tanzania named Rose. I can't say her last name, but she is very, very well known among African Christians. And I've got to say, I went over there and heard for myself her testimony, and it is amazing. And she is a very gifted singer. And when we finish up here tonight, and after we've finished our service, uh, you may want to go through the parish hall just stop and hear her sing. She has an amazing voice. And uh, that's a combined congregation of the uh, Trinity African Ministry as well as uh, Emoja Church from Tanzania. They're doing a combined service in Swahili. She sings in Swahili, but it, it's just amazing. It's a great time. So I encourage you to pass through there on your way, your way out. Uh, we would have met in the church, but... Um, uh, Iglesia Mundo is also having a special program tonight. Uh, they've got a singer who's come into town, and all these things have been set up in advance. And so uh, we got bumped here to the, uh, the small classroom. But what a joy it is to be able to share this facility with brothers and sisters in Christ who speak different languages, come from different parts of the world. But like you said, brother, we're all one in Christ. It's a privilege to be able to, uh, to share these things with them. Uh, there, there are certain benefits of being in this room. I was just looking around. I, I like all the little knickknacks on the wall. Uh, it's, it's amazingly providential that they have all these little things. Welcome. Uh, school is fun. They can say church is fun. They have pictures of here's Karen Tagaro and here's Philip Wynn. And, uh, and, you know, they, they prepared us well for our little room. I'm not sure who this is. Maybe Caleb in a blue cap. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, actually, good point. If I was just wearing a blue cap, it'd be easy. Um, well, tonight we're starting a new series looking at uh, a very short book, the book of Jude. William said that uh, in high school, Jude was the book that was beaten up by all the other books in the uh, playground. Uh, it's a very, very short book, uh, but a, a very rich and important book. And uh, I'd like you to open it up. As I was preparing for tonight, I was struck by how timely this is. The book of Jude, though it's only uh, 25 verses long, is a very, very timely book. And it feels in some ways as though it is prepared with Trinity in mind, and uh, with the Episcopal Church, Peter, that we're a part of in mind. Um, we're going to look at the whole letter over the next several weeks, taking just a few verses at a time, but we're going to start with the opening part, just two verses, and I've called the name of the sermon to whom it may concern, because like in every letter, the, uh, the writer, Jude, begins with a, a greeting, a welcome. And uh, it, it begins this way in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. Uh, the, the, those few words contain in them actually quite a pedigree. Uh, first of all, of course, uh, Jude acknowledges himself as a servant. The word is actually slave of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jude, like every Christian minister, like every Christian, knows himself to be 
a servant of the Lord Jesus. And so at the very beginning of his letter, he acknowledges that as he, as he writes to uh, his uh, hearers. He, he acknowledges his relationship to Christ. And he also acknowledges a relationship with his brother, James. Uh, there's some scholarly debate exactly who Jude was, exactly who Judas, uh, that's the Greek word, was, and uh, who the James here in this verse is. But uh, most of the scholars I read seem to agree that the only James sufficiently well known that he would be called simply James, and leave it at that, is James the apostle, the, the uh, head of the church in Jerusalem, who was himself, you may know, the brother of Christ. In fact, let me just show you an interesting cross-reference that uh, I had never seen before. If you flip over to the book of Luke, and uh, if you look... Let me see the chapter. In uh, Luke's list of the apostles, <clears throat> Luke chapter let's see here. six. Luke, Luke chapter six, verse twelve. Thank you, brother. I didn't write down the citation. Luke chapter six, verse twelve. You'll see the listing of the. Uh, the apostles, and uh, verse 14 begins, as always, with Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The last Judas, the last Jew, same name, is, of course, very well known to us. But it, the verse 16 begins with Judas, son of James. Well, if you have a King James Version of the Bible with you, what it says there is Judas, brother of James. Uh, what it actually says in Greek, in Greek is Judas of James. And that can either mean um, the, the son of or some relationship to. And there's speculation that the writer of the book of Jude, if you flip back to it, is the brother of James and also the brother of Christ. Well, if that's so, why didn't you put that in the opening of this letter? Uh, again, there's speculation about that, but the best reason I heard was that it was humility. And also, perhaps, a sense of his own unworthiness. Because if you remember from the Gospels, Jesus' brothers and even his own mother were not initially supporters. They were not initially disciples. Certainly his brothers uh, were not disciples, and even uh, Mary is described at one point as having come because they thought Jesus uh, was out of his mind. So, humility, a sense of unworthiness, perhaps led Jude to leave off the uh, obvious fact that he was the brother of the Lord Jesus. Uh, while he leaves it out of the verse, it is pretty well established in tradition, depending on how much... Uh, respect you have for church tradition, there's a, a very, very old tradition going right back to the second century that Jude was in fact the brother of Jesus, the, uh, the half-brother of Jesus. In any event, the writer of this book, this very short letter, uh, identifies himself this way, and then he turns immediately to whom it may concern. Uh, who you're writing to makes all the difference in the world. Uh, when, when it comes to what you say, doesn't it? I was writing some emails to my family uh, while I was away in Egypt last week, and uh, 
when you're writing to people you know and love and care about, it, it comes through. And what you're able to say in that message is different from what you might say in a, in a business letter or a different kind of letter. And so Jude makes it plain that he is writing to a particular group of people, and he describes it this way in English, to those who have been called, who were loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. So uh, Jude gives us three words here to describe the people he's writing to. They are called, they are loved, they are kept by Jesus. Actually, in Greek, it says, to those who, having been loved by God the Father, and having been kept by Jesus Christ, have been called. So Paul actually comes last in the Greek text. Um, Jude is writing to people who have been called, and that means they have been loved and they have been kept. Uh, the interesting thing to me is that as uh, Jude describes the recipients of his letter, as he describes the, the church, the group of Christians who have already received this letter, he puts all of the emphasis on God's initiative. You know, if you and I were describing the Christian community, we might say, those who have faith, and that's true. We might say, uh, those who love Christ, that's true. We would put the emphasis, very likely, on our response. Uh, those who've been baptized, those who've been confirmed, uh, those who come to church regularly. We might put the emphasis there on our side of the equation. But as Jude, a servant of Jesus, describes the recipients of his, of his letter, he puts all of the emphasis on God's initiative. Now, there's a reason for that. If you look just at the NIV headings, we're not going to look at this in great detail tonight. We'll look at it over the next several weeks. But if you look at the headings, they summarize pretty well the tone of this letter. The first heading, now this is not part of the original text, but the NIV editors have done a reasonably good job of summarizing the points of this letter. Point one, the sin and doom of godless men. And point two, a call to persevere, that is to stick with it. Now, I don't know about you, but I find those to be fairly ominous headings. The sin and doom of godless men, a call to persevere. This is a letter that's going to demand a great deal of us, that's going to be realistic about the challenges we face uh, in our uh, experience. And so this letter is going to deal very directly, very honestly with all of those facts. And so Jude begins significantly by reminding his first hearers and you and me that really our relationship with God and Christ begins not with us. It's not something that you or I have gritted our teeth and have accomplished for today. It is actually a relationship that is grounded in what God has done. Because like we just sang, Jesse, and I know you chose these songs carefully, like we just sang, we do love God. I mean, when we get in a circle here and we start going and I look at your faces and I hear your voices, I mean, I just get goosebumps of love for the, the Lord who's called us together. I mean, it, it is something wonderful to share love for God. But the more amazing thing is that God, in his incredible mercy, has set his sovereign love 
on the lives of you and me. You know, it's not for nothing that we begin every service with a confession. That's not just religious decoration. That's one of the most honest things we do. We gather conscious of our dependence on grace, conscious of the fact that we've let God down this week, this day, this hour. We have failed to love God with all of our heart. We have not responded with the gratitude, as Warren pointed out, that is the due that we owe to God for all that he's done for us. I mean, the, the blessings that he has showered upon us. We should be in a constant attitude of praise and thanksgiving, but we're not. So Jude reminds us right at the beginning of this sobering word that God has loved us. God the Father, the one who created the universe, loves us. He has sovereignly set his love upon us. And that puts our relationship to him in a whole different light. It's not on the basis of something that we earn. It's not on the basis of something that, that we try to do. It's not on the basis of rule keeping. It's not on the basis of being a certain kind of person or voting a certain party or, or doing any of the things that we focus on. It is on the basis of our sovereign God, God the Father, having set his love upon us. Now, on the basis of that security, we can persevere. We can be realistic about the sin and doom of the world around us. We can honestly look at the challenges before us because God has loved us. And then flowing immediately from that, God has set his love upon us, and we have been kept, we've been kept secure by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing to go away on a 10-day trip, uh, to uh, drive away, uh, as I did the other day, and my little family came out to the front porch as we were pulling away, and they were waving, <laughs> and to see their faces, and to pull out of the driveway and drive down the street, looking over my shoulder and seeing these people that I love and cherish with all of my heart, waving goodbye as they get further and further away, and get on a plane, and fly halfway around the world. Brother, it's tough, isn't it, to wave goodbye to some people that you love and you care about? It's hard. It's very, very difficult to do that. And you all know what that can be like, the people that you love and care about. Well, the flip side of that is when you, you come home, God gives you a visit home or allows you to come back home, and you draw near to that place that is home to you. And as I did the other day, and I saw faces peeking out the window, and their faces lighting up when I saw them, and then to walk in that door and to see them running around safe, and they're well, and they are there, and they have been kept, they have been kept by the Lord Jesus. That's what God in Christ has done for us, he keeps us. We are very precious to him. Those we love who are in Christ are kept 
And the, the, the picture really is, is like in the security of his own hand. He keeps those whom he has loved. Keeps us. We don't need to be afraid for ourselves or for those we love. We are kept in, the, in that sovereign hand of the sovereign God who keeps us. And that's what Jesus is Sorry, brother. The care. Holds with tender care his, his little ones. That's what Jesus has done for us. He has kept us. The word translated by, if you look, there's a little footnote there. The word by, because Jesus certainly does keep us, but it can also equally, validly be translated by, in, and for. And actually, all three are true, right? We are kept by the merciful Savior. He keeps us himself. We are kept in him. And we are kept for him. He is the end point of our trip. He's the beginning, he's the middle, he's the end. We are kept uh, by him, for him, and in him. He keeps us. And there is meant to be great joy and great encouragement in that. So on the basis of that, we can tackle the difficult, challenging things we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. It begins with this promise, this reminder, this assurance that God loves us and he has kept us. And that's what it means for us to be called. Uh, the word called is used in a variety of ways uh, in the New Testament. But the idea is God, who speaks a word of sovereign authority, when he speaks it, it happens. Okay? God doesn't throw his words around. When he speaks a sovereign word, it is the same thing as it happened, in a sense. And so he, when he calls us sovereignly, it is wrapped up within that is this idea of him having loved us and him at the same time as calling us, securing us. And all of that is wrapped up in the very opening verse of this wonderful letter. Uh, we have a secure relationship with the sovereign God and it is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from there, uh, Jude does something I, I think perhaps unique in the letters. He says, mercy and peace. That's not unique. That's a, to this day, I understand a traditional Jewish welcome, mercy and peace. But he adds the third word, which is unusual. He says, mercy, peace, and agape be yours in abundance. That's a, that's a made-up Christian word. It, it really describes something that is uniquely Christian. It is God's selfless love for us, and on the basis of that, our selfless love for one another, which we can share in abundance. And so what Jude wants us to have, while he's going to give us some very direct words, some challenging words, what he intends for us to have is mercy and shalom and agape. He wants us to know those things in abundance. And so while the, the, the words are going to be challenging, that's his goal, that we would have mercy, peace, and love overflowing. Now all that is meant to give us the challenge to be realistic about the world where we live. Uh, some of you know we had our diocesan convention this weekend, and uh, you all will be happy to know that Trinity was very, very well represented. 
we had Brendan Kimbrough and Will Grover and Ellen Grigsby and Dan Hill representing Trinity. And we went. It's a huge room, hundreds and hundreds of delegates from all over Northeast Texas. And uh, we were a little tiny group. Five of us, Jacob, came for most of the time as well, so sometimes as many as six of us, in this huge crowd of over a thousand people just packed in this huge, huge room here in this little corner, six people. Well, let me tell you, it was, um, well, I'll put it this way. The convention was better than it could have been, um, and uh, it could have been worse, okay? Uh, it could have been worse. Um, and sorry, sorry, sorry. It was not as good as it could have been, but it could have been worse. That's the way I'll describe the, the convention. It was not as good as it could have been, but it could have been a lot of worse. And uh, it was pretty intimidating to be sitting there and to have huge issues being discussed, too huge for us. Things about the Anglican Communion and things about how we're going to relate and... and uh, What's going to happen to our little church and our properties and all these things? Well, I don't know if y'all are wrestling with that in Wisconsin and, and guys is well clear or not, but we are here. You know, Anglicanism is going through a huge state of flux. What's going to happen to us? What is it all going to mean to us? What happens to us in our little church? Um, well, it was good to be reminded in the middle of all that, as I sat there preparing for tonight, I kept thinking, God loves us. He will keep us. We do not need to be afraid. God loves us. He will keep us in Christ. And we do not need to be afraid. So mercy, peace, and love are ours in abundance because of what God has done in the Lord Jesus. And over the next several weeks, I will look a little bit more at what we have to confront uh, on the sturdy foundation of that gospel truth. Well, let's bow our heads. I know it's going to lead us in some prayer, but let's just uh, start by praying this word. Uh, Father, we, we do thank you and praise you for this gospel message from your servant Jude. Father, we thank you for his faithful witness. Uh, Lord, uh, we thank you that Jude in his day, spoke the truth. We pray you to help us in our day to speak the truth. We know sometimes, Father, it's difficult to do that. There are challenges. There are things that intimidate us. We do sometimes feel so overwhelmed. And yet, Father, we know we are absolutely secure in you. You have called us. You have set your love upon us. You have and you will keep us in Christ. Please sear that into our hearts and minds for Jesus' sake.